the Theonauts, episode 22. The one where we eat a diet of worms. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Welcome, you Theoformers. Theoformers, it's a good one. Yeah, it's yeah pretty good. I ain't? like it. Hey, David, how you doing? Good. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. Together we are the, the Theonauts. How's your week been? Oh, man. My, my week has been, like, crazy busy. Oh, yeah? Well, first off, I listened to um, Finding Christ in Cinema. Yeah. On their Les Miserables. <laughs> wow, amazing. Dude, I so, love that movie. And as as, as they said, they could do an entire show. I mean, like an entire podcast uh-huh. on Les Miserables. Sure. Because it's so full of Oh, of yeah. Christ, you know? Well, I mean, I uh, the first time I ever came in contact with Les Miserables, I'd never heard of it before, but my pastor, uh, actually it wasn't my pastor, it was a guy from Life Action Ministries. We did a Bible study on Galatians, uh-huh. and he used Les Miserables as Galatians. And we walked through the movie. Wow. Or walked through the, you know, the play uh, with that Bible study of mine. And so, yeah, awesome job finding Christ in cinema. You guys nailed it with, uh, with Les Miserables. Man. Yeah, that's really cool. I do have <laughs> to say, though, that listening to it gave me a cold. Oh, yeah? Thanks a lot, Brendan. <laughs> Sneezing all over the microphone. <laughs> you ought to see him or here not wiping snot. <laughs> gross. Tell you what. So, yes, I do have a cold. And um, so, um, anyway, hang on. Hang on one second. So, yes, <laughs> I do have a cold. Oh, man. And, uh, but, but I'm fighting it and... Uh, did you take your uh, high C or vitamin C or whatever to emergency? Have you heard of that? Uh, I've heard of that. It's no, supposed to work really I haven't well. taken it. Taken it. I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm, in fact, I'm, a, I'm surprised I'm able to talk. Really? Because, yes, because it hits. It always attacks my throat first. Ah. And um, man, last night it was killing me. And this morning I got up and I was like, "Wow, I'm not gonna be able to do the Theo knots." <laughs> so I've got this kind of a gravelly voice going on here. <laughs> That's pretty good. I feel like one of those DJs, you know, from the 70s. (laughs) I was going to say Batman. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Wow. So, but but anyway, uh, I don't need the neti pot yet. That's what Brandon was promoting. (laughs) An old church lady told me to try that about three years ago, and I went and bought one, and oh my goodness, the stuff that came out of my head I've never seen in my life. And I never want to anymore, so ugh, no more. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, getting away from the neti pot conversation. <laughs> and all the snot and stuff yeah. that comes out of your head? So, okay. Okay, so aside from that, yeah. uh, man, first off, it's 9-11. Yes, it is. So I want to just you know, say that um, we here at the Theonauts definitely we're remembering those families that... Um, 
that were lost or the, the people that were lost and their families right. and the, the first responders and all those that, that have gave their lives, you know, for others that, uh, your families are in our prayers mm-hmm. and, uh, we're definitely remembering. Absolutely. I took my moment of silence this morning and just, uh, prayed and I'll tell you what, it's a, that was a shock. I don't know where you were, but I was, uh, where were you? Do you, do you remember? Where yeah, you I was at work. Oh yeah. It was early in the morning. Um, and there was only two of us in the office whenever wow. it happened. And uh, the, the owner of the company and myself, and he came running in there at, just like in complete disbelief. It was like, you got to turn on the radio and listen yeah. to this. And so. I was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and uh, doing my first ever crusade with Life Action Ministries. And me and my best friend, he became my best friend, Noah, uh, were staying in this apartment above a garage and I was watching sports center while he was taking a shower and they interrupted sports center to show the plane crash in. And I thought, man, that's a tragedy. There's a plane that crashed into the, you know, right. little train center. And then we drove to pick up some girls to go to, go to work. They were on our route and, uh, uh, was stepped into the house there and watched live the other plane hit. Yeah. And man, that was just a shock. I'll tell you. I know it's amazing that, uh, something like that could happen on American soil. We just, you know, that's right. It, it really has been un, unequaled since, uh, Pearl Harbor. That's right. Really. So, well, uh, it's always good to remember where you were and to remember, you know, what, what, what was happening because it just brings it back. And uh, I remember calling my dad and going, I can't believe this happened and mm-hmm. not being able to get through to him for such a long time because the circuits were right. lit up. And you know? and another thing that I, I like to remember also is not only the tragedy and the the uh, the pain, but also the ability that the nation had to come together. Most definitely. That, it was just amazing. Yeah. Both sides of the political fence. It didn't matter how far left or how far right you were. That's there right. was like this unity that occurred there. That's right. At least for a little while. It didn't last long. Yeah. But, you know, for a little while there, there was this, you know, the whole nation kind of came together in it. It was a really special time, I think, you yeah. know, flying the flag and you just saw it everywhere. It was yeah. amazing. So anyways. So, but anyway, yes, our, our thoughts and prayers are with the families Definitely. that uh, were affected by that date. And, uh, but, okay, on a lighter note. Mm-hmm. I sat down and watched the entire presentation by Tim Cook, the whole iPhone, really uh, Apple Watch <laughs> thing. I was wondering if you would watch that. <clears throat> yes. So what do you think about the bigger screen? Uh, well, I'm still not a fan of the bigger screen. <laughs> they caved in on that whole thing. But You know, it's nice they gave you two selections there, the 6 and the 6C. Or 6 plus. Plus. But the that. but the 6 is still big. I mean, it's still bigger oh, yeah, than the huge. current iPhone. It's like 4.7 inches diagonally. Right. Which, here's my biggest issue with the big screens, is my thumb is not that big. I use my phone with one hand, okay? I don't, I don't want to have to reach over and hold it with one hand and use it with the other. So yeah, but I'm telling you, and as, I know they've got those special gestures that can make the screen slide down for your thumb. <laughs> but come on, the question is, do you got to do that? Really? If you want a better screen, you do. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> My thing is, you know, I, I I was that way too. I used to have the iPhone four, and uh, it was only after I got the first one stolen, the second one 
uh, lost <laughs> that I, uh, no, actually both of them stolen within three weeks of each other. <laughs> and no one has stolen your Android, have they? No, nobody has. <laughs> I got this Android second hand and it had a big strip, five inch screen, right? Right. And I'm at first I'm thinking this thing is way too big. And then after a month, I didn't even realize that it was so big. Yeah. And it was just became second. Well, the market's moving that way. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, they're going to go with the market. Well, yeah. is and. Uh, but I, I will say that um, the features and all that stuff, I mean, I really, the Apple Pay thing, did you hear about that? No. Wow, that's really cool. Like, if you tie credit cards to your uh, iTunes account, like yeah. you usually do anyway. Right. Um, now, through a, uh, a secured key that's in the phone, you can pay with those credit cards simply by being in proximity to a device at the retailer. Really? Yeah. So it's like all you have to do is these things have a thumbprint identification. Right. So as soon as you touch your screen, you don't even have to unlock it. You just touch it with your with your thumb and put it close to the device and it pays with, your, with whatever credit card you set as the default. And uh, That's creepy and yeah. awesome. Oh my goodness. So anyway, they've got that and then, oh, now this was the one that floored me. The Apple Watch. Okay, I was not. This is where somebody sits around and watches a bunch of apples. <laughs> yeah, right. I was, and they didn't call it the iWatch for some reason. <laughs> I expected it, they registered that term iWatch, but they call it oh. just the Apple Watch. But the 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 I was not excited about this. I was like, okay, so what? You know, it's just a a, a watch that can talk with your phone. So. Right. So like the Samsung watch. Right, and they've got one, yeah. and and so it's like you know, no big deal. I wasn't. I wasn't excited about the Samsung one. Right. Not excited about the Apple one. But then, when I saw the presentation and saw what all it's going to do, I was just floored by this thing. It's amazing. If you haven't seen like the presentation, you need to go watch the presentation. I need to watch the presentation. It is really cool. Like for example, uh, they've invented a whole new way to interface with it um, really? that uses the dial the dial on the side, and they're trying to get away from people typing. So, like, if you're using your your watch as an interface to texting and whatever, you're not typing. So, it's going to be safer on the roads and things like that. Right. But, like, if someone texts you and, and asks you a question, and maybe it's a yes or no answer, or maybe it's a multiple choice answer, mm-hmm. this thing has enough artificial intelligence in it to know what the question was and to prevent, to, to provide you with multiple choices to reply with. <laughs> I was like, what? Wow. Reply A if Taco Bell. Reply B if... Exactly. (laughs) And and then it has this thing that has a sensor on the back of it. It touches your skin all the time. Yeah. So it knows your heart rate. It knows if you're walking. It knows if you're standing. It knows if you're sitting. It knows all this information about your... gracious. And so it can track your health. And it can say it can it can you can choose these settings. You put this thing on my wrist as he'd be like, "Warning, danger, Will Robinson, danger, danger." <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, it, it, the notifications are cool. It doesn't vibrate. It does what they call tapping, and it's the equivalent of someone reaching over and tapping you on the wrist. And so, no one in the room is going to know whenever you get notified. You can just feel it. And you just look down, and it the screen sleeps until you lift up your wrist, and then it wakes up. Anyway, oh I could go goodness. on and on and on. It's really cool. They figured out a way to suck more money out of me. Is what yeah, they <laughs> pretty much. So. See, I was thinking about getting off my plan because my plan's up in October. Uh-huh. And I can, you know, renew my phone. I thought about getting the iPhone, but now you're really convincing me that I need to go ahead and spend the money and get the iPhone. Well, watch. The, no, the watch is 
at this point going to be a companion to your your phone. So you can't like you can't just have the watch. You got to have the watch and the phone. Right. Um, so do you have to buy the watch separately from yes, the phone? Yes. <sighs> and so, but it doesn't come out until next year, so it gives you time to save. Uh, that's true. <laughs> So wow, oh, you've sold me. I think so, I might. I might have to have so that. So anyway, <laughs> there's my Apple proselytizing. So it was a pretty good week for you with the <laughs> with the Apple. Yeah, the phone doesn't actually come out until like the 19th. So what about like? Did they have any new laptops or anything? The Apple iPad. Well, or? they've got a new OS coming out that's yeah. going to tie into all this. Uh, proximity is a big thing. So like, the phone is going to be able to be proximity with your computer, computer. and automatically uh, sync your telephone conversations and your texting and you'll be able to use messages on your Mac Wow! Uh, with people who are texting you. Wow. So even if they don't have an Apple device like yourself, so. <laughs> you know, if you're a normal person and not, <laughs> not, not an Apple, not freak. a sellout anyways. So uh, you want to hear some news? Yes. And now the news. Well, it's a, uh, been out for I guess a couple days, but uh, I just read the headline on it. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a, it's the largest modern uh, campus um, uh, ministry on our on our campuses in the United States. When I say campuses, university campuses in the United States. Basically, it's a ministry like any other. Like we have the Baptist Student Union, and there are other you know little groups of, right. of ministries that meet. Um, anyways, they've just been uh, basically derecognized by California State University, and I'll read the uh, the blurb, the headline: "University Christian Fellowship has been in modern cam- campus terminology derecognized by Kansas- California State uh, University schools. Basically, they will no longer be recognized campus organization on any of the twenty three schools in that in that system. So that was." Like around a thousand students uh, in the that group total. Wow. Yeah. That's going to be derecognized by the by the the school. Uh, InterVarsity has been derecognized because they require their leaders to have Christian beliefs. It's not just InterVarsity that will be impacted. Following the same logic, any group that insists on requiring its leaders to follow an agreed upon set of guideline uh, guiding beliefs. Is no longer kosher. Uh, ironically, <laughs> kosher? Stating, is that the word? Kosher. <laughs> that's what they use. Brilliant. Uh, California State Universities. This will impact many of the faith-based organizations with actual, well, faith-based beliefs. Presumably, even people for the ethical treatment of animals would have to allow Oscar Mayer, Oscar Meyer, to lead their campus chapters. This is a lot of tongue-in-cheek. But basically what it's saying is because they say that you can't be one of our leaders unless you're a uh, determined Christian, uh, they're going to have to de-recognize your group. That's just idiotic. It's total lunacy to me. Whenever you think about it, I mean, forget the religious side of things here. The, The fact that you're saying that an organization does not have the right to say what we stand for, we don't. You don't have to stand for it to be part of us. That right. doesn't make any sense. Right. I mean, why would PETA <laughs> have um, Oscar Meyer? Have Oscar, the guy from Oscar <laughs> Meyer, is the, it, it, it makes no sense. So, right. likewise, it doesn't make any sense to have an atheist in control of Absolutely. some Christian organization. But basically, what they're saying is 
you guys can be a group if you want to, but we're not going to give you any college sanctions. You're not going to be determined an official group by our universities. And uh, as a person who used to belong to a group, we were given uh, a group like this. Uh, it wasn't university, but it was just like university at the campus of University of Nevada whenever I was in college. Um, we were given a room. We were given uh, an actual place to meet on campus. Uh, we could, during the rush periods or during the, uh, the the club fairs, we could advertise our own stuff because we were an official, legit club on yeah. campus. Yeah. Now they can't do that. They're not going to be given a room on campus. They're not going to be considered an actual club, so they can't go during and recruit during the club fairs or anything. Now I'm wondering about this. You know, we have there are there there's Muslim you know, groups on campus. There's Jewish groups on campus. There's all these others. Are they going to say that, you know, uh, a Christian, if they don't allow a Christian to be a leader of their, you know. Well, it sounds like they would have to if they're going to stick to their guns. Exactly. On, on what they're saying. So this is going to be a, a pretty interesting story But it doesn't make any sense because why would somebody want to? That's the thing. Exactly. It's like if I don't want to be on the board of some atheist group. Right. If that's what If that's what it's all about. You know, so, it doesn't so, make any sense. The uh, the leader of a uh, of university said that loss of recognition would mean we lose three things. The first being the access free access to rooms, which will cost them thirty thirteen thousand to thirty thousand a year to reserve a room. They used to get it for free. Right. Um, they lose access to student activity program, including the new student fairs where they meet most students, and they'll also lose standings. Uh, when they engage faculty, student, and administra- administrators. So, in other words, they you know they can't officially meet with the right. group because it's not an official group. So, <laughs> so university said uh, this may be a uh, a drawback, but we're not going to change by any means. Right. You know, we're gonna we're gonna continue doing ministry. We're just gonna have to find dis- different avenues to do it. It's gonna well, cost it, us a lot more money. And if you really think so. about it. Big whoopity do. Yeah. Because we as Christians, I mean, we're obviously doing this because it makes us rich, right? <laughs> I mean, speaking of which, I haven't got my check yet. Dude. <laughs> it's coming. It's, okay, in the, okay. it's in the mail. Good. Just check so, it. <laughs> so, but that, that's, my, that's my point. Sure. Is the point of this is not because we get funded. Right. Or because, I mean, yes, it would be nice if you guys would uh, slip us a check here or there. Sure. <laughs> Go ahead and mail it, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> PayPal. <laughs> that's great. But the thing is, that's not why we're here. That's right. And so, and obviously that should not be why InterVarsity, InterVarsity is there. Doing what they do, yeah. Because the, because the point is to glorify God. Right. And to bring the good news to people who need it. That's right. And to grow in God. So you don't you don't need funding necessarily to do that. It might make it harder. Right. But um, you know, and it's tough. It's especially tough on secular campuses, mm-hmm. universities. I think that's probably one of the biggest unreached people group in the United States would be right. university campuses and secular campuses. I think you're probably right. And and you know, so Man. If they are doing God's word, uh, God's will, if they are, you know, uh, glorifying God, I believe He'll take care of them. Oh yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm not overly concerned with that. Me neither. It's just weird. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, um, 
Also in the news, uh, I know that probably y'all have... Science? Oh, no, it's not science oh, okay. this time. Well, I don't have any science today. Shucks. I, <laughs> I was looking for a good science story. And I, and just I, I didn't come up with my one. jingle yet anyway. So. <laughs> science! <laughs> Killing me with science. That's she what blinded do. me. We have she blinded me she blinded with me. science. That's awesome. We should totally do weird science. That should be your jingle. All right, anyways. Um, we laugh now, but a sad day has happened. Truett Cathy has passed away. Mm. Um, for those of you who don't know who Truett Cathy is, he's the founder and president of uh, Chick-fil-A, uh, the most amazing fast food joint this side of uh, the uh, Golden Arches. So uh, <laughs> it's um, you know it's a, a company that boasts about $5 billion dollars a year year in sales and yet remains closed on Sundays so it allows their uh, employees to go and worship right awesome you know concept and Truett Cathy man that guy is amazing I imagine there'll either be a book or a movie coming out about him soon because mm-hmm. he was just a a special man uh, he says in a 2012 interview um We'll never know what we're capable of doing until we can start performing at our best. He also says, um, uh, Truett Cathy uh, said, I see no conflict between biblical principles and good business practice. In other words, if you do it the right way, you're going to have success in, in right. what you do. Right. And so he really was a, a pioneer in putting those practices when everybody else was selling out. You know, I think back in my grandparents' day, on Sunday, you couldn't go to you could, any business. You couldn't. You couldn't do hardly anything. I remember those days. It wasn't wow. your grandfather's day? Well, you're about <laughs> as old as it. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I kid. I kid. But yeah, you remember those days when? I mean, Sunday meant. Yeah, it was. It, it was dead shopping day. That's right. It was closed, and uh, and today it doesn't. You know, Sunday's just another day mm-hmm. for shopping. So in fact, it's a it's a bigger day for a lot of people because they're off on Sunday. Right. So. Uh, um, you know, and he remained faithful through through that. Uh, the Chick-fil-A corporate purpose, this is their purpose statement, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. Yeah. It sounds like a 501c3 statement. I know it does, doesn't <laughs> it? But it's not. It's a business mm. that gets $5 billion in sales. So, wow. I mean, imagine if... People well, and, and the thing is, yeah, I like Chick Fil A a lot, but sure. you know, I hardly ever eat there, simply because it's so packed. Oh, I all know. All the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't get through the drive-through. You can't get in. That's the, right. It's like there's all the seats are full. It's like I've never seen a fast food. I'm pretty place. sure they put crack cocaine in their uh, <laughs> <laughs> in their Chick Fil A sauce. Have you ever had that stuff? <laughs> yes. Dude, that is the best. And the, the waffle world. fries. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, the um, <laughs> but yeah, it gets me how many employees they have. Oh, too. I know. I mean, it's like the counter is just stacked full of people. That's right. And it's amazing. What's amazing to me is no matter how busy it is there, mm-hmm. in Sherman anyways, I don't know about anywhere else, but no matter how busy it is there, I get my food within like two minutes of ordering. Yeah, I've never time. had never had bad service there. It's it's always been awesome. So, anyways, Truett Kathy will be missed, and uh, my wife actually was crying over him whenever oh, he passed because wow. she loved him so much. Awesome. Yeah, but uh, it's a uh, you know he was a great guy. So yeah. there's cause for rejoice there, not not sadness. That's right. That's right. So okay, well, is that all you got? That's pretty much it. All right.
right. We're moving through history, man. <laughs> but you know what? It's going to go really slow this time. That's right, man. You can't. I mean, this is for me. This is my most favorite part of church history. Well, aside from the first century, this is probably the biggest century mm-hmm. as far as uh, as what happens in this century of any of church history. Yep. And that is the 16th century, beginning in 1500. Uh, and, you know, in every other podcast we've done on church history, we've covered several hundred years. Right. We tried to cover a thousand. <laughs> At one point, didn't quite get there. But <laughs> but this this week, we got 100 years. Yeah. There's no way we can... In fact, it's going to be pushing it to get through everything that happens in I this century. I doubt we can, really. It, it, but anyway, it's, it's quite amazing, and, and part of the reason why is there's a lightning in the bottle type of thing happening oh, yeah. here. Um, this thought of reform begins to happen. <laughs> no one expects the Reformation. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we've been talking up to this point about all the crazy stuff from the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, you know, all this um, crusades and inquisitions and and all the, the just the, how twisted... Um, the church has gone, right? And how far away from Christ it got. So it is high time for change to occur, right? And that is what happens in this century. We see uh, attempts to reform, and a lot of people, I think, are somewhat confused in thinking that okay one guy started this and it was just like this big revolution and everybody fell on board no but that's not what happens it really is a lightning in the bottle type of thing where you've got all these things coming together at the same time people thinking the same things in different parts of the world and all of them are about change right and about getting away from the confine the confines of what was at the time the Holy Roman Catholic Church, which was ruling everything from a religion standpoint. Right. So, uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the, this century and talk about you know events that happened in, in this century that made a change in the way people were thinking and everything. But there are a few things I wanted to mention first off, and that's that reformers didn't agree on everything. <laughs> that's right and and so don't think that that okay you know we're going to talk about Martin Luther a lot Martin Luther is not the father of the Reformation no. he's he's not like it's not everybody jumping on Martin Luther's bandwagon right it is bigger than that um, we talked about in the last episode uh, John Wycliffe yes. and John Huss these guys that they're the ones who really they were ahead of their time they weren't quite in sync with the rest of these minds they were saying things and doing things that actually planted some seeds and what you see happening in this century is an explosive type of response right i mean it it's almost like a i liken it to like water right when you put it on the boiling pot Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. it's you know it's a gradual, gradual boil to a simmer, you know, or you know nothing to a simmer to, you know a boil, and it, this is Martin Luther was just the boil over, right, right, be, you know, and then everything else that happened after that was just, you know, it was an it was an overboil. You have all this uh, 
basically um, abuse of power coming from the papacy for such a long time right. that they were just sick and tired of it. And, and, and atrocities right. were happening. That's part of what fueled this. Yeah. Um, whenever you're burning people at the stake, torturing people to death, uh, stabbing babies yeah. in the name of Christ, then all of a sudden people are looking at that and going, wait a minute. We've got to have missed something here. Right. And so that's what really started. At least it started at the scholarly level because these people knew the ancient languages. They could read Hebrew and Greek and Latin, and they could read these things and say, okay, wait a minute. We've strayed from the Bible. This isn't what it's supposed to be. And so, uh, but there are things that we're going to talk about men like Martin Luther, John Calvin. We're going to talk about... um, uh, Ulrich Zwingli. I can never say his name. Zwingli. Zwingli. Ulrich Zwingli. John Knox. John Knox. John Rogers. Just there's a whole slew of these people. Right. And there's some of them that you probably don't recognize right off. Thomas Cromwell. Thomas More. Michael Cervetis. Uh, we'll get to some of these. I don't know Michael Cervetis. So, uh, teach me that one. But the, here's here's one of the points I want to make before we start going through all of this is um, they did not agree on everything. And it's like, where do you start? And how far do you go? Because it's like, okay, stabbing babies is wrong. <laughs> I think they were all in agreement right. About, right. <laughs> about that. But... How far do you, how far do you dig into your belief system that you've been part of your entire life to determine what's right and what's wrong? Things that were disputed among the reformers, infant baptism, yeah, because that's what they all were raised doing, right? Uh, many of them all of a sudden stepped away from that. Uh, not all of them, though. No. And um, well, what about like transubstantiation? Transubstantiation was a big one. Now, right. to put that in the lay terms. What does that mean, Jeremiah? That means the the actual physical event of the water of the wine turning into the blood of Jesus and the bread turning into the body of Christ at the uh, um, at the Lord's Supper, or the uh, right. Um, is he physically present? Right. Is he physically present? What does that mean to be physically or spiritually present in in the Eucharist? Right. Okay. The Eucharist is the terminology that. Uh, was used to be common for the what we could now call the Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper or the communion. Right. Um, yes, there was lots of debate about that. Um, Luther never changed his mind on no, that. No, no. Luther believed in transubstantiation. He yeah. believed that Jesus' body was physically Physic- there. Uh, but, Smart guy in every other aspect. I'm but, <laughs> <laughs> well, he also hung to infant baptism. Oh, that's right. Didn't yeah. have a problem with that. Right. Um, so there's so there's things that that uh, that these guys that we you know hail as the reformers, but they still had things they ha- they hung on to. Right. Um, here's another one that believe it or not, Luther still hung on to holy icons. Yeah. You know, were certain items uh, spiritual and, and had spiritual healing properties and things of that nature. Um, sacraments of penance, confessions absolutions, honoring the saints, honoring Mary, purgatory, Trinity. These are all topics. Right. The treaties of the Pope, uh, 
and the basically the writings after the Bible. What do we take? The sacred? bulls of right. papacy. The bull, papal bulls. <laughs> what do we What do we take as uh, sacred, and what do we take as you know canon of scripture? Exactly. There's all these things are things that were de- that heavily debated among reformers. Not everybody was on the same page. And guess what? We still aren't on the same page on, right. on many of these things. All and, of our denominations, ex- they're, offshoots. From they're this. all derivative of this, That's and this right. is why. You have so many denominations. It it began real early. Mm-hmm. As as people pulled away from the United Catholic belief system, they went in all kinds of different directions yeah. with uh, their belief. And, and some of them were crazy weird. And and many people will think that uh, you know that the Reformation may have been a bad thing because of this. Yeah. But it's. The, the good thing is most all of them moved away from the idea of justification through works. Right. That was kind of the, that was the, that's the, the swan song. That's right. Of the Reformation. And so let's start in 1517, which is probably the most recognizable event that people think about when they think about Reformation. (laughs) Well, let's go back a little bit before that and talk about Luther before we go to the 95 Thesis, right? Okay, go ahead. Well, you got to understand who Luther is in order to understand why he nailed his 95 Thesis to the wall. Uh, In 1517, fed up with with church doctrine or fed up with what they were doing, Mm -hmm. he nails his, his 95 Thesis to the church wall in Wittenberg. But before that, uh, Martin Luther was um, a monk, right, um, and a teaching monk. Uh, mm-hmm. He uh, originally was going to be a lawyer, right. And uh, you ever hear that story? It's one of my favorite stories ever. He's crossing a field, and uh, in like, it's the like he's in the middle of the most horrific thunderstorm he'd ever been in in his life. Lightning is striking all around him. Do you ever hear this? It's <laughs> so awesome. So lightning striking all around him. He's running through this field cause he's afraid. Right. Um, he's traveling back to his hometown and, uh, and he falls on his faith and he says, Lord save me. I shall be a monk. Right. Mm. He survives that encounter and he takes it as a, as a, as a sign, holy sign that he's not supposed to be a lawyer anymore, but he's supposed to be a monk. Right. And uh, and so he he goes into the mas- monastic order and uh, he struggles his whole life with trying to be good enough. Right in his early days, like he's he would lock himself in a closet and beat himself with whips. Right because he, he because of his shame because of his shame because he wasn't he would think sinful thoughts you know mm-hmm. or half horrible. So anyways, ends up he takes a trip to Rome. He sees uh, in. Um, uh, he's sent to Rome in 1510, uh, where he sees the corruption in the church, uh, how they're selling indulgences. Right, get, which is his big thing. Yeah. Indulgences was what really set him off. Right. And uh, for those of you who don't know what indulgences are, um, basically it was a ticket out of heaven, or a ticket out of hell, into right. heaven. Right. A ticket out of purgatory into heaven. Right. Um, so if you paid this much money, and uh, you spent less time waiting exactly you would spend you or your dead relative could get out of purgatory and go straight to heaven so pope uh the pope it's a ponzi scheme yes basically a ponzi scheme and it was but it was widely accepted in the church and when he saw this in rome he saw all these poor beggars giving their last 
you know, couple shillings in order to have their uncle, you know, who was long dead, be sprung from purgatory into heaven and, you know, go without eating right. food. Right. And it just angered Luther, uh, frustrated him big time. And so from that, he went back and he had never read the New Testament. A monk who had never read the New Testament. Never studied. Which was it. quite typical. Exactly. Right. Like we said in the last episode, I believe, not many people had read the Bible because it wasn't given to them right. to read. So he, um, being trained in Latin, picked up the New Testament and read it. And what he got from that made him so angry that eventually it drove him to write the 95 Thesis. And in 1517, right. Luther nails this 95 Thesis to the wall. To the door. Anyway, of the, of, to the door. Yeah, he <laughs> nails these these 95 Thesis, which is the thesis in that vernacular, that time frame, is an essay. Right. So he, he wrote um, a list of 95 things that he had problems with yeah. with the church. And most of them had to do with indulgences. I got 95 problems. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Anyways. and it's not a short writing either. I can't imagine, you know, what this was a nailed to the to the door, what it must have looked like. Right. But uh, he nailed it to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Saxony, Germany. Um, and this really began the German Protestant Reformation. Right. And so there are reformations that pop up all over the place. But this is uh, German. The Germany was uh, one of the first. And so that's... That's uh, really... That's why it's so widely recognized as it's the first public act of the Reformation. Right. And so here's another thing that's happening at this time. And we kind of skipped over the, the invention of the printing press. Oh, yeah. Okay, but the printing press is now invented. And so... Uh, when was it invented? Oh, oh you had to ask. <laughs> we'll, we'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Okay, the Gutenberg uh, printing press was actually... Um, made the ability for people to um, to all of a sudden move away from um, handwritten copying text. Right, right. To being able to distribute information readily. Right. And so um, this is part of the reason why the Reformation takes off. It's kind of like the internet today. The founding of the internet today revolutionized the world. Gutenberg's printing press revolutionized the world in the 1500s and the 16th century. Right. And it was, uh, I just looked this up, 1450. 1450. That's right. Now the Gutenberg press, right? Gutenberg press. And the first thing printed on it was a Bible. A Bible. That's right. The <laughs> Gutenberg Bible. Right. So, okay. So, um, 1518, one year later, yes. we have this guy that we were having problems with his name before. Zwingli. Ulrich Zwingli of Zurich, Switzerland. Ulrich. Now, he begins to teach about justification. He begins to preach against infant baptism and transubstantiation. So, here is a guy who is, he's being blamed for following Luther. Right. He gets mad about this. He was like, I first started writing about this stuff in 1516. I'm the OG. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he and Luther don't really get along. Right. That's what's kind of funny about all this is they, they're, they're on the same page when it comes to justification. But outside of that, they don't really get along. They're in different countries anyway. That's, right. doesn't really matter. So uh, Zwingli is really kind of the root of the Reformation 
in Switzerland, which actually Switzerland becomes a large part of the Reformation as we continue to, to move forward. So in, um, as a result of this thing of the 95 Thesis, that causes obviously a big stir amongst the Catholic Church. Um, they spend some time going over his thirty, his ninety five thesis. Right. They um, were able to scripturally debunk forty of them in their own minds. <laughs> and so, in fifteen twenty, Pope Leo the tenth issued a papal bull. Yes. And okay, so we're going to define terms here again. <laughs> this is not an animal. <laughs> I shall issue a bull. <laughs> He's going to stampede. That's right. All over Martin Luther. All over Martin Luther. <laughs> so, so this bull is a is a, a decree That's from right. the Pope, and the reason why it's called a bull is because that was what the stamp of approval at the end was called. Bullhorn. Think that, bullhorn. Right. It's a, right. It's a yelling <laughs> out a decree. Exactly. The, bullhorn gets the same entomology. That's comes from right. the same place. So. Uh, the papal bull called Exerge Domine, <laughs> and uh, which is I'm expelling this guy. <laughs> That's basically what it's all about. So um, this is before or after the Diet of Worms? This is before it. Okay. So he uh, so he he issues this papal bull against the 95 Thesis, right? And calls this actually calls Martin Luther into question for heresy, right? So now, as you can remember. Heresy was not something to be taken lightly. They pull your fingernails out for that stuff, right? They dig up your bones and burn you. They dig you up and burn you. (laughs) So this was a big deal. That's right. And so Martin Luther then um, was called to trial about this. It happened in 1521, a very popular um, event. It was a um, event called the Diet of Worms. It's where they all got together. And ate big bowls of worms. I guess we'll go eat some worms. That's right. (laughs) I just love the name, the Diet of Worms. Well, when I was a kid and I first heard of that, I was like, really? (laughs) What? I don't get it. But Diet of Worms basically means they had it in Worms, which was... Worms, Germany. Worms, Germany, which is the town they had the diet in. And the diet means the meeting or the... Uh, where he was called to recant. Correct. Any any political assembly could be called a diet. So um, it comes from the the Latin word uh, dieta, dieta, or whatever. It is. Diete. It's the same word that they we use for a meal, also. Right. So it's really kind of strange, but it could also mean a public assembly uh, called together. For a political... A specific purpose. Right. Yeah. To, so, to solve a political problem. Right. And so Luther was brought before, um, basically, a trial right. at now, the Diet of Worms. And I'd like to bring this point again, just to reiterate this. When he says political, when David says political, it was political. It was much as much political as it was religious. Because you got to remember, Rome was in control of the known world. Um, and when I say that, there were kings and queens, but they paid homage. They were puppets. That They were puppets to the Pope. The Pope told them what to do. They did it because if they didn't do what the Pope told them what to do, they would be excommunicated and sent to hell. Yeah, and too right. much power. Exactly. Too. So the, the church owned everything. So right. if you were expelled from the church, 
Uh-huh. You know, forget where you're going to end up eternally. A lot of people didn't even believe that. That's right. But from a political standpoint, it was suicide to be removed from the church. That's right. So, and, uh, you know, and so this is why there's so much tension and boiling point. Uh, not only was it religious, but it was political. And, you know, when you're in control, thumb down on, and you're a peasant, and you have no room to do anything, I mean, you're going to get angry. And there, so there was a revolt politically happening at this time. There were people taking up uh, arms and getting angry, and then using Luther, you know, as as their reason, as their front, and using, the, you know, the... The uh, Reformation is the front for this. Right. And, we, and we'll get into a lot more of that as right. we move through the, the century. But, uh, okay, so you have what happens at the Diet of Worms. You have, uh, he's presented with the 95 Thesis and a series of writings that he he'd written a, several books. Right. So. Uh, <laughs> I wrote a book. <laughs> so, so Luther had written several books that were and were being disseminated amongst the people. Right. And so here's what they do. They grab all this stuff. They, they slap it down on the table in front of Luther. And they say, is, did you write any of these heresies? <laughs> okay, so. Did you write these? Well, my name's on it. What do you? <laughs> but the thing is, think about the question. It's it's a trick question. Oh yeah. It's like he's not asking, did you write these books or did you write these writings? He says, did you write these these heresies? Yeah. Okay. Well, obviously Luther didn't consider his own writings heresy. Right. So Luther says, hmm. Can you give me a day? (laughs) So they're like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> and so he formulates this really eloquent response. He comes right. back the next day and he divides these writings into three groups. And he, and he basically uh, addresses them as that you will not disagree with this. So you right. can't call it heresy. Right. And so it was really smart. And he, he, he divvied it out. And then he said, and yes, I am responsible for the context of all of them. Right. And uh, so... After saying that, he said the famous speech that that uh, has been recorded, yes, and which I will read to you at this time this. because this is think about this. This is your death sentence, pretty much, right? But he is willing to go to his grave for this, right? He stands up in front of of God and everybody, and he says, "Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures, or by clear reason, for I do not trust." either in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. <laughs> I am bound by the scriptures. I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they closed the session yep. and basically went in to deliberate and Martin ran. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Here I stand. See you later. <laughs> he took off. He left him. That's right. And and it's a good thing because oh, they, they came back with an edict that he was to pay for his heresies, which they named them heresies. Right. right. And, you know... <clears throat> um, Right after that, they had already planned on taking him out and killing him. 
before mm. anything. And so by him leaving early, actually, uh, if he hadn't left early from that diet of worms, um, he would have been dead before he got back uh, to Wittenberg. So mm. he was very, very lucky. Yes. <laughs> and, or well, led. Yeah, God God provided that he would get away from there quickly. Yeah. So he becomes a... Um, he becomes an a outlaw at this point. Right. He's wanted um, for heresy. He's gone into hiding. Right. And uh, in the midst of his hiding, in 1522, he manages to pen out a German version of the New Testament yeah. that he translates from the Vulgate. So um, in doing this, it begins to light more fires. Right. Because now people can read for themselves the German people German, can yeah. read for themselves what's been going on. Right. And uh, it's it's also helpful to note here that uh, Luther never wanted to start a revolution. That wasn't his goal Correct. at all. In fact, his goal was to convince the church to change its practices. He wanted to be a reformer. Right. Right. He didn't want to be a revolutionary. And so, uh, you know, it's really, you know, it's kind of a sad thing that the church didn't go ahead. And, and really read into this and change. Mm-hmm. So he had to be kicked out. And, uh, you know, I feel sorry for Luther because of that. Well, you know, his, his, a lot of his um, thoughts were very, very revolutionary. Yeah. Um, in, in that the whole basis of salvation was involved. Right. Because justification is his big thing. Justification is not through works, it's through faith. Right. And... Um, so by declaring that it was by faith alone, that left no room for a lot of the things that the church was doing. They could not politically let go of some of these things. Right. So what's the easiest thing to do? To let go of these practices that are making you money or to condemn one guy to, you know, death. That's right. And uh, so, but... Oh, we forgot to talk about Tetzel, too. Well... What was happening at this time, you know, what really pushed Luther over the edge was Tetzel. Go ahead. Well, okay, so Tetzel coined this phrase, with every coin in the coffer that rings, another soul from purgatory springs, <laughs> right? And he would go around and advertise this, and the Pope wanted to raise money for a new cathedral, which would end up being the Basilica, okay? Yeah. And so he wanted to raise just double, triple tax on everybody. And the way he did this was he signed a papal decree that anybody that donated to this tax would, or gave to this tax would have a get out of hell free card, basically. <laughs> so Tutsal traveled around with this pack of, uh, so far from scripture. Oh yeah. And they would, he would do this thing like he would take and, uh, he'd have a bonfire there and he'd grease up his hand before and, mm-hmm. And he'd ask everybody, gather everybody in the village, and he'd ask, have you ever been burned in a fire? He goes, no, imagine that ten times as bad. And he he would walk over and put his hand over the fire as he was saying it. You know, and it looked like he was getting burned, but right. he had grease on his hand, so he wouldn't, you know. And uh, he would just, and everybody's gasping in shock. And he says, you know, for $10, you don't have to suffer for that. <laughs> it's a sales pitch. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, Luther just, ugh. You know, that that was that was the thing that drove him to say, no, it's it's not my works. It's not my putting money in the coffer. It's by, you know, faith alone in Jesus that right, you're saved. Right. Anyways, but that was free. I just, I love that story of Tetzel because it's, you know, it's a great picture of faith versus the works. You right, know? right. 
So there's a guy in um, a, 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 a Dutch guy by the name of uh, Desiderius Erasmus. Okay, <laughs> Erasmus, Erasmus is uh, he was a well-known scholar. This this guy was probably one of the smartest linguists that ever existed. This guy knew Greek fluently, Latin fluently, Hebrew. I mean, brilliant man. Yes, brilliant guy. And he was in good with the Pope. He was. He had friends in the English court. Uh, Thomas More uh, was one of his uh, good friends there. And so y- you have this situation where Erasmus. This is in 1536, right around that. 1524, actually. 24, okay. uh, Erasmus writes a a um, a thesis called the freedom of the will. And it's a response to part of what Luther was teaching. Luther was teaching very heavily about predestination and about, uh, <laughs> about <laughs> election. That's right. And so this was one of the things that Erasmus disagreed with in uh, vehemently with, with uh, Martin Luther. Luther on. Well, Luther himself wrote the bondage of the will, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And, and this is like a, Answer to that. Answer to it. <laughs> so now, and so Erasmus, it, it's really kind of funny. The relationship between Erasmus and Luther is uh, terse. I mean, there's just, they, they like each other, especially intellectually. Right. They really respected one another. However, they had these disagreements here. I think Erasmus sided with Luther when it came to justification. Yeah. But he would not speak that. He wrote satire and often poked fun at the at the clergy and everything like this. But then he would turn around and say, oh, it's just a good fun. I, <laughs> I, I don't really mean that. <laughs> and, and he wanted to be Switzerland, you know, right. and, it, literally, because right. he, he wanted to stay out of the out of the fight. Right. But he couldn't help himself when it came to this issue of free will. Right. So he wrote uh, this this in in 1524. He wrote this uh, against what Martin Luther was teaching and writing. Martin Luther turned around and wrote another <laughs> response to it. Um, and so they went back and forth. And we'll find that that Erasmus actually plays a large part in the Reformation, even if it's under the, the hood a little bit, you know? Right. He's behind the scenes. He's not a revolutionary in any way. In fact, that was one of the, his big problems. He felt like to follow Luther to the degree in which people were following him and in rising up in revolution was completely anti-Christ. Yeah. He had a huge problem. And I, and I agree with what he was saying. He was saying Christ is a pacifist by nature. Right. This is not Christ-like. And well, people were getting killed by this point over this. Not right? yet. Not yet. Well, but, were they not? Okay. Well, people, well, people were, uh, there was rebellion in, going on individually, but, right. there, but there wasn't like, um, a major uprising. war. Right. Uprising, yes. So, um, so anyway, you got this thing going on between Erasmus and Luther, and we'll come back a little bit to some of uh, Erasmus's involvement here. But in 1525, we have another movement pop up. Okay, <laughs> this movement is called Anabaptists. The Anabaptists, yes. So the Anabaptists. Now, let's not confuse this with the Southern Baptists. It's not the same thing. <laughs> Thank you. Please don't. <laughs> so now the Anabaptists. Um, they they come up and there's not really one guy pushing this. It's just kind of a group sure. thing that comes out. Um, they are the roots 
of the Mennonites, uh, the Amish. Right. Uh, so you kind of get an idea of what what kind of teachings right. that that they had. It was back to basics. Let's get away from um, modernization. Modernization. Uh, of course, you know we're in the 16th century. There's not a lot of yes. modern stuff going on. But uh, but they had okay. Here's why they were called Anabaptists. Anabaptist means, and this was a derogatory term put on them. Yeah. And it stuck. They didn't like it, but it stuck. What it means is rebaptize. Right. So, and then the reason why is because they were, uh, their biggest doctrine was, that they hung their hat on, was that infant baptism was non-scriptural. Right. Okay. So, what they were doing was they were baptizing people who had already been infant baptized. Right. And this confused a lot of people who were raised with infant baptism and saw no problem with it. Because they were like, well, what are you doing? You're rebaptizing people who are already baptized. You're yeah. Anabaptist. It's kind of pointless. What yeah. Do you- <laughs> yeah. So, they, so, um, so this stuck with them. Right. This whole Anabaptist term, and uh, so, but that wasn't their only big doctrine. They were also big literalist. So, um, when it came to things like the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says um, not to make oaths, right? You know, where Jesus is talking about being honest, being an honest person, and right. you don't need to take an oath because you're an honest person, they took it more from a legal standpoint. You should never make an oath. Yeah. So you can't ever be part of public office. You can't never take... So right. anything that had to do with oaths, they stood against. Um, so anyway, this was another... Weren't they pacifists too, pretty much? Yes. Yeah. So they're very... Um, it's another reform, re, a reforming movement right. that happened that was unrelated necessarily to what was happening with Luther or Zurich or Zwigli, <laughs> <laughs> so, so or any of these other guys. So, uh, but then another really cool thing happens the next year, in fifteen twenty six. We have a man by the name of William Tyndale comes into the picture. Yeah, William Tyndale is another monk who is actually I think he's a priest. Okay, either way, he's in the Catholic Church. <laughs> he's one of those Catholic guys. <clears throat> he, um, he, just like Luther, has a problem with, he's reading the Bible, he's a linguist, he's reading the Bible, he's reading the Greek, he was friends with Erasmus, he had a copy of Erasmus, Erasmus combined every Greek manuscript he could come across into one compendium that was called the Textus Receptus, which meant the received text. Right. And all these manuscripts, they had about 5,000 of them. They were all, down to almost the letter, were identical. And Erasmus compiled them all into this, this group, uh, sometimes called the majority text, Textus Receptus. Uh, Tyndale was reading this, and Tyndale was like, wait a second. <laughs> we're totally outside of this. New, the, the New Testament does not read like what we're acting and so he got so bent out of shape about it. Instead of going the route of Luther and nailing up his thesis against the church or anything like that, instead he's like, "What would happen if all the of all of England got a hold got of, a the hold of this?" Yeah. So he starts his 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 um, movement to trying to get the Bible into the hands of the common man. Right. So he's teaching uh, like a regular Bible class type of thing, and people are coming to his house and studying, and he starts talking these revolutionary ideas, and people are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, this is heresy. <laughs> Haven't you not heard what's going on with Martin Luther and et cetera, et cetera? Right. So he, he gets so bent out of shape at one point, one of his friends, um, 
was over and telling him this is this is heresy that you're teaching. And uh, of course, this is a guy is another part of the clergy. And he tells him, he says, when I'm through with with what I'm doing, the boy who pushes the plow will know more about the word of God than you do. <laughs> And that's just one of these quotes that stuck with that's such a great quote with William Tyndale. Amen. So William Tyndale, um, it became known he was trying to translate the Bible into English. Right. And this, of course, was considered heresy. They're like, hey, uh, stop. <laughs> right. The, the Catholic Church considered it a, heres- a heresy to do this because uh, the Bible is Latin. What are you do- right. What are you doing? We have a thousand years. With it's been this way. Right. This can't be right. Okay. So just like anything else. Uh, it became wrong to translate it into English. <laughs> so he went on the run and he um, he ended up like finding printers underground and printing his translation. And it got smuggled in to England because he ran off to Worms and several other places. Right. Antwerp, I think it was one place. Well, anyway, he, he printed the Bible in several of these places and smuggled it as contraband into England and it was everywhere. People were reading it and going, what is this? And <laughs> people were like, uh, obsessing over it. Yeah. And the, the Catholic church got very concerned about this. Okay. Sure. So he, re- he does this in 1526. Um, one of the things that he did was he rejected, uh, the word priest in the new Testament, uh, and, and replaced it with elder, Right. Uh, he replaced that word church with congregation, congregation yeah. uh, which was a slap in the face to the Catholic Church because the mm. word church meant government to them. Right. Well, all of a sudden, it's meaning congregation, which is more of a local assembly. assembly. Yeah. And, oh, that can't be right. <laughs> Even though the word ecclesia is, is given assembly. to that. Yeah. So anyway, um, so you have Mark uh, William Tyndale doing this. And... Uh, so he goes into hiding for about 10 years and right. and he's doing this constantly. He's revising it and, and this sort of thing. He's working a little bit on the old Testament. Uh, and we'll get back to William Tyndale here in a little bit. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Then in, where am I? 1534. Okay. Now we're getting up into uh, a lot of the stuff. It revolves around the Tudor family right. in, in England. So a bunch of stuff's happening over there in England. Wow, it's crazy at this point over there in England. Yeah, and so you have Henry the Eighth is now on the throne. On Henry, (laughs) Henry the Eighth, I (laughs) am. And Henry and his six wives. Yeah, there's all kinds of troubles between him and the church over these wives, and he ends up getting them killed, and all. There's just all kinds of stuff going on. Right. So, and he is heavily involved in some of the drama that's happening with Tyndale as well, because he's wanting to make the Catholic Church happy. So he has yeah. he's marked William Tyndale as an outlaw. Right. Well, anyway, in 1534, he gets sick of being under this Catholic control. And he's like, you know what? I'll do my own church. <laughs> so he be. I'll be the Pope. <laughs> I'm done with with the Pope. I'm going to be my own. So he creates a new entity. Right. Just so he can divorce. Just so he can get a divorce legally. <laughs> and then cut off her head, right? <laughs> well, that's the, that was the alternative to uh, divorce. Oh, that's right. That's so, right. Uh, okay, he forms the Church of England, 
which for all intents and purposes is pretty much the Catholic Church. Right. They don't differ a whole lot in their theology. He just lightens up the load on the places where right. it concerned him, and he didn't have to answer the Pope anymore. Right. So he considered himself the leader of the, the new church. church. And, of course, uh, you've got guys like uh, Thomas More that were part of the court that said, you know what, I'm not comfortable with you being the leader of the church. Right. Well, he died because of that. Sure. <laughs> That's how Thomas More got killed. Um, so anyway, 1536, another big name comes into play, John Calvin. Oh, yeah. Man. Okay, so John Calvin um, writes a thesis called Institutes, the Institutes of the Christian Religion in 1536. That's and right. he's a, a French guy, comes out of nowhere, writes this thing, and all of a sudden there's a Reformation happening up north. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, so Germany's got Luther. Calvin comes out of the French stuff. Yep, heading toward Switzerland. Right, and you have Tyndale in you know, England, England with... You know. So it's just like, like I said, it's just this perfect storm. Right. So, um, man, all this stuff is happening like crazy. And so uh, John Calvin has pretty much uh, a lot of the same ideas as Luther as right. far as justification goes and predestination. Predestination. The, he's he's on the same page. The five solas really right. were birthed with him. Right. Uh, uh, which I, I can read to you. Sola scriptura means by, yeah. by scripture. Sola gratia, alone. sola fide. Uh, yeah. So sola scriptura, which is by the Holy Scriptures alone. Sola uh, Christus, by Christ alone. Sola fide, by faith, faith alone. Uh, sola grata by grace alone and uh, soli deo gloria so that God may receive the glory that's right right alone so that God alone can receive the glory it's not about the Pope it's not about the church yeah and and wow I mean when you put those five things together and and, and I know it might not sound like it makes sense because each one of them says alone right but it's different functions of salvation that are happening alone in and of themselves. So exactly. like, if you look at it like this, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Yeah. So you can't get to the grace without faith. So it's right. the only access point to the grace by Christ alone to the glory of yeah, God, alone. faith in Christ alone, right. according to scriptures alone. alone. So in other words, yes, you can be in Christ, but it can't be something that the Pope said, right. It has to come out of scripture um, and it's only so to the glory that of God. G- God alone may receive the glory. Right. So it's really cool the way it all fits together. So, but anyway, uh, yes, he's responsible for that. He's responsible for, he gets invited to uh, minister a church in um, Geneva, in Geneva, Switzerland, mm-hmm. and accepts that role and begins a huge haven. Because right. w- what we're, we're going to see happening in this Tudor problem uh, causes like in the family there in, in Britain causes a huge persecution and people end up flocking over to Switzerland. Yeah. And actually that's in Strasbourg. Originally he's in Geneva. That's where he writes the institutes. But what happens is they kick him out of Geneva. Remember? Right. <laughs> because right. he was implementing what I love. I love this little story. It's so cool. It's the control of the church yeah. thing. Well, yes. Calvin, they give him the reins of basically the city and they say you have control of the church and everything. And he notices that the rich people aren't doing the same things 
that the poor people are doing, but they're saying it's okay because we're rich. So he gets on to him and he's like, all right, listen, you've got to, you know, toe the line just as well. You can't be sitting like this. And uh, they're like, you shut up and do what we tell you to do. So he's like, oh, really? Well, then I'm not going to give you uh, communion. Oh, that's right. I <laughs> so, remember that. So he cuts them off the communion <laughs> and they say, how about you pack your bags and leave? That's right. They kick him out. <laughs> that's right. So he, he does, goes to Strasbourg. He, but he does come back. Yes, he does later yes. on. So, okay. So, um, okay. So we got John Calvin doing his thing. Yeah. Same year, William Tyndale's killed. Okay, so William Tyndale got arrested while he was still in hiding, printing Bibles. He got arrested uh, at the decree of Henry VIII still and brought to trial. And uh, he is strangled and burned. Burned at the stake, that's right. And his dying words were, Dear Lord, please open the eyes of the King of England. Right. Um, And that was in late in the year 1536. In 1537, not even six months later. I don't even think we'll get through 50 years, by the way. Ah, <laughs> uh, we'll go over whatever. <laughs> so, so, so you have here this. Uh, not even six months later, his prayer is answered. Right. Because the King of England says, "Okay, right now he's he's now fathering this new church, right? Right. Oh, I want the Bible in English for crying out loud. Yeah. And so he, he, uh, issues a decree to have the Bible. He commissions it. That's right. And one of, um, one of Tyndale's friends by the name of John Rogers steps up to the plate and says, I can do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, what he ends up doing is taking Tyndale's Bible, Bible. stripping out all the sidebar comments, right. and filling in whatever didn't get completed in the Old Testament by the writings of Miles Coverdale, right. puts them all together, and it becomes the first legal English translation. What was the name of that? It's called the Matthew Bible. The Matthew Bible. Yes. So what you're saying is the King James wasn't the first legal English oh, translation. We're a long ways from the King James. Wow. Hmm. Yes, and we'll Crazy. find out there's a lot more translations <laughs> before then. So uh, obviously Tyndale's was the first English, right. which then turned into the Matthews. And then two years later, another Bible is translated into English by Thomas Cromwell, and that's called the Great Bible. And the Catholic Church actually endorsed it, but it was called the Great Bible because it was huge. It was like the size of a table, and they chained it to the pulpit so no one could take it home. That's right. We'll let you have it, but you have to come to the church and stand up there and read it. Right, exactly. And so we're only going to give each church one copy. So. Right, and their problem with the English translations, they didn't want people reading it at all. Right, home. exactly. So they could. So this was still a way to keep their hold on it. It's like, oh, okay, well, if, if you're gonna, if, you're, <laughs> if you have to have it in English, we'll make you do this. Uh, okay, so uh, 1541, uh, Calvin goes back to Geneva right. after the drama that we talked about. <laughs> 1542, uh, guess what? Pope Paul the Third says, "I've had it with this." Protestant stuff. You know what we need? An Inquisition. Because yeah. <laughs> it worked so well the last time. That's a great idea, buddy. <laughs> so the Roman Inquisition was then formed in 1542, which then started to persecute Protestants. Um, 1545, they held a council, which they haven't done this in a while. The council of Trent. But yes, the Council of Trent 
is another ecumenical. Well, it wasn't quite so ecumenical anymore. Right. It was now pretty much just a Catholic, Catholic council yep. that said it was it was counter reformation against Protestantism. Protestantism, right. and clearly defied, defined official theology and biblical canon. Um, so it basically set everybody against the Protestants. That's right. Um, that wasn't already there. 1553, uh, you said you didn't know Michael Servatus. Um, yeah. He's the founder of Unitarianism. Unitarianism oh, yeah. was another reform movement uh, that is really separate from any of these others we've talked about. The the Unitarians believe in, they had a problem with the doctrine of Trinity. Right. So they believed that God the Father was one God and Jesus was his son, but not God. Right. So this also went in against a lot of the, of the previous councils and the creeds. And so they really were sectarianist. They really are separatists. They, they got like... The Catholic Church, yeah, and the um, the Protestants, and the Protestant, the, the Lutherans, the Lutherans, the Calvinists, the uh, pre-Presbyterians. They weren't Presbyterians yet. The the Calvinists, the, right. they all were against the Unitarianism, right? And so, because that doctrine of the Trinity is a is a essential doctrine to them, right? So, what do they do? They burn this guy at the stake. Heck yeah. Who does? The Catholic Church? No. no. The Calvinists? It, yes, in Geneva. <laughs> this guy's burned at the stake. That's right. In Geneva. Well, okay. he's a Unitarian. Wow. You can't have that. Okay, so then, so 1553 is also important because Queen Mary takes the throne. Ooh. Now, she's part of the Tudor family, and I won't even go through all the drama that led to her taking the throne, but... Uh, you might also know her better as Mary, Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. Yes, and she's called Bloody Mary for a reason. She was Catholic to the bone, right? And so forget this Church of England stuff. Yeah, I'm going to snuff it out. <laughs> she snuffs all that stuff out, goes back to uh, Holy Roman uh, Catholicism, right? and then sets in to kill reformers right. and Protestants. So 238 people were burned at the stake. People fled uh, England like rats leaving the ship. Right. And they went toward uh, Geneva, Switzerland. And um, in 1560, by now, there's lots of people in Geneva, Switzerland. And so they do their own translation into English. um, And it's called the Geneva Geneva Bible. And guess what? This is prior to... The King James. The King James. This is before that. So the Geneva translation... Uh, is unique because it's the first translation to include verse numbers. Oh, they're the ones that put the verses. They're the problem in your Bible. <laughs> Those Genevans, yeah, silly Genevans, Calvinists. <laughs> so, okay, then in 1560, also same year, you have uh, a writing uh, called the Scots Confession. Uh, it built the Church of Scotland. Uh, and began the Scottish Reformation. The Scottish. The they, Scottish. The Scots have to get in John there somehow. Knox. <laughs> John Knox. If it's not Scottish. <laughs> but anyway. First they reformed the church, then they played a round of golf. <laughs> <laughs> so the Scottish Reformation was led by John Knox. Right. Knox. John Knox is a student of John Calvin. Right. He had hang, he had been hanging out in Geneva and learning under Calvin. He, moved, he goes back to Scotland, where he came from, and he establishes this Church of Scotland. Um, 
And so, and we'll see that move and, and progress a little bit more here in just a minute. Uh, 1560 also began what's called the French Wars of the Reformation. Right. And this is where things got really crazy. In France, people were so up in arms about the Catholics versus Protestants that they actually went to war about right. it. Well, we skipped the Peasants' War, right? Oh, oh, yeah. 1524. Yeah. That, Way back then. that yeah. I mean, that was the first war. <laughs> that was an uprising against right. against the Catholics by the peasants, right? Exactly. The peasants. Silly peasants. Anyways, <laughs> but jump forward and, yeah, you have okay. the... So, the, and the reason why this is an important one is because it's a full all-out war. And it, uh, over two million, no, between two and four million people died in this war. Wow. If you can imagine... That's a lot of people. That's a huge... That's more than like Vietnam. It's oh, that's a lot of blood being shed over this uh, this issue of reform. Reform, yeah. And so in 1572, which is right, you know, kind of in the middle of this, Mr. John Knox over there in Scotland now takes this Church of Scotland and, and basically makes it into the Presbyterian Church. So this is... This is where the Presbys came from. Yep. He establishes the Presbyterian Church due to a disagreement with the Lutherans. So they still had their differences right. with, the, with the Lutherans. And so this was kind of an official break between them, and this founded the Presbyterian Church. And the division with the Lutherans was over sacraments. Okay, this included transubstantiation issues right. and church government. So... Uh, Okay, so the last thing that I've got is also 1572, another Bible translation prior to the King James right. called the Bishop's Bible. Now, once again, the Catholic Church is fast followers. So they saw, oh, you got a big English translation that's getting passed around in Geneva? Fine. We'll do our own and we'll actually give it to people this time. Right. But it's going to be our doctrine and it's going to be, you know, and so whatever. They called it the Bishop's Bible because the bishops were the ones responsible for translating it and getting it out to the people. Right. So this was a revision of the Great Bible. Uh, it was checked, checked against the Hebrew text and it was the first to be published in, in England by Episcopal authority. Huh. So at this point it was legal. Right. So, so basically, by the end of this time period, it sets the stage for mod, uh, the modern church as we see it even today. Yes. We have the Anabaptists forming different different sects of you, uh, and really uh, the Baptists are put into this sect. Um, mm-hmm. Puritans come out of this. Uh, well, actually, they come out of the uh, well Lutheran and yeah. And, uh, the next century, we're going to start to see things like the Quakers. And, right. And there's a lot of things. And all these breaking off, but you see the main hubs starting to form. You have the Lutherans, you have the Presbys, you have the Catholics, and then you have the Anabaptists, right? right. And then all that trickles down into what we have today. And by the end of this time, which is a huge, perfect storm of Reformation, uh, oh man, it, it's an amazing time to be, you know, a, a, a Christian at this, this <laughs> right. point. If you're not getting burned at the That's stake. right. <laughs> Run out of your country or whatever. It's right. a special time to live in. <laughs> right. So anyway, that's that's going to ru- uh, round out our part four right. of church history. It only took us 20 minutes over. <laughs> <laughs> so not a big deal. So uh, we're going to um, pick up from there in our next, and we'll probably be able to come into the modern day, right. I would hope. 
<laughs> we'll see how it goes. We we we'll still we still have the King James translation to talk about, so right. we're not quite there yet. King Jimmy, so Shakespeare, yeah, all that, all that good stuff. So, <laughs> so anyway, you guys out there in Theo Not Land, uh, make sure you uh, give us some feedback. Um, go on to iTunes, rate us, give us some star ratings, leave us some comments, send us some email, theonots at gctnetwork.com. Uh, leave us some voicemail. Talk to us. Um, you can do that at 972-885-7270. Tweet to us at Theonautical on Twitter. And you can go to Facebook.com slash Theonauts. Talk to us there. Give us some comments and some feedback and let us know what you're thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thanks, David. All right. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission Transmission. At GCTNetwork.com.